It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined, as always, by Nick Horwat and the Pittsburgh Penguins. They've extended their winning streak to five games. They're back in a playoff spot. Take that for what you will at this early stage of the season. But they're playing good hockey, and it is thanks to a couple of different factors. Certainly, the top of their lineup is absolutely obscene right now with the amount of points that they're collecting. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. Their goaltending's been phenomenal as of late. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. But I want to start here, Horwat. Ahead of what is going to be a monster week of matchups for the Pittsburgh Penguins leading up to American Thanksgiving, I want to start with a discussion on the Pittsburgh Penguins' third line. It's been roughly three and a half weeks since Redeem Zahorna was called up and placed on that line in place of Jansen Harkins. And since then, we've seen that line perform well on a semi-regular basis. More often than not, they're a positive or a net positive in the game for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And looking at the numbers, Zahorna in 10 games played has five points, three goals, two assists, and 15 shots on goal. Drew O'Connor struggling a little bit when it comes to getting on the score sheet, but playing really well, doing a lot of things that don't show up on the scoreboard. 14 games played, one goal, two assists, 23 shots on goal. And then there's Lars Eller, which a much larger discussion might need to be had about Lars Eller in the near future. 14 games played, seven points, two goals, five assists, and 36 shots on net. Over two shots per game for Lars Eller as the third line center. The question becomes then, Horwat. Have the Penguins found their answer at third line? Sure seems like it. I think these are this is still kind of a mishmash of names, right? It's still not necessarily set in stone that this is the line this, that, hasn't, that has formed an identity that you don't mess with, that you don't uh, make adjustments to just to make adjustments to. You can still filter names in and out of this line, I think, and that's perfectly fine because while you mentioned the numbers, and they have all played really well and clicked pretty well together, um, I mean, let's just be blunt. Drew O'Connor's production isn't—it probably isn't at where it should be. You can adjust him if you need to. Redeem Zahorna is still a player, while has definitely earned an NHL level uh, line and positioning in the roster. If someone below him, you know, improves to a different degree and can bring something a little extra, there is still room for him to be moved out of the lineup. Lars Eller might be the only solid, like almost set in stone piece on this line and that's just because of 
the positioning he had with that role coming into the season. Um, Mm -hmm. But as it is, it's still a very good line that has found something. It's definitely a step up from when Harkins was there. It's definitely found the mojo to be pretty solid depth producers, which is something the Penguins needed all of last year. Uh, I forget what the stat was. Everyone in the bottom six didn't have... uh, I forget however many points or something along those lines, uh, except for Jeff Carter. But now it looks like at least this line can produce at that can produce at a decent enough level offensively, mm-hmm. and all three of them have a pretty solid game on the defensive side of the puck as well. So they are a golden they are golden children in Mike Sullivan's eyes. So they are both ends of the rink producing everywhere they can, and at least in Drew O'Connor's case, should start finding some more offense at some point soon. Yeah, he did, uh, you know, break the dam a little bit when he uh, he scored that goal against the Buffalo Sabres last weekend. But you look at the opportunities that he got on Tuesday, there were a couple more chances for him to 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 make it a second game in a row with a goal. And you hope that he can kind of go back and find that scoring touch that he had in the preseason when he was lighting things up. It's interesting that you said Zahorna and down. Uh, I'm kind of thinking the other way around. I know Zahorna is not somebody that you're going to be able to put into the top six for an extended period of time and just rely on him to be a top six winger. I think he's more so a bottom six winger than he is a top six winger, but he kind of fits that traditional middle middle mold. But, you know, with a guy like Ricard Raquel continuing to struggle to get anything going offensively, continuing to struggle to put the puck in the back of the net, I wouldn't mind seeing if indeed that becomes an issue, which right now it isn't because the Penguins have won five straight. Um, and the only player seemingly struggling to that level is Ricard Raquel. Um, while it's not bringing down his line mates in Malkin and Riley Smith all that much, um, I, I think if there is a change to be made, I think that might be the one you make. Is you you bump Redeem Zahorna up, give him an opportunity to see if he can have an effect on that second line, similar to how he has an effect on the third line when it comes to creating chances, creating turnovers in the offensive zone. And you try to get something going with Ricard Raquel. You put him with two guys that are seemingly playing their roles exceptionally well when it comes to Drew O'Connor and Lars Eller and you see if that sparks something letting Raquel be the trigger man because if you look at that second line all three of those guys could be trigger men mm-hmm. right Riley Smith has scored a good bunch of goals this season Evgeny Malkin has scored the most goals at least before the last game than he had since his rookie season in an early season you know stretch so you have three trigger men up there not like Raquel isn't getting his opportunities, not like he's not getting his shots, but maybe if he becomes the guy, the put-away guy on that third line, maybe that sparks something. So that's why I, was, I found it interesting that you said, you know, maybe moves the Hornet down. That might be the, the flexibility that you have. I, I would think moving him up would also be on the table, more so than moving him down at this point, because I just don't think, you know, Vinny Hinnestros has been good, mm-hmm. but I don't think that, you know, he's close to the level where you need to say, hey, maybe you should bump him up. I, I think it's more so the Zahorna Raquel swap that I would look at. Yeah, absolutely not in the Vinny Hinnestros case. It's, uh, whenever I thought of uh, the idea of Zahorna, you know, being bumped down, it's just because of the way <clears throat> the organization probably looks at him, which is probably a lot lower than what fans might say or what he's kind of proven on the ice right now. Uh, I like. I also do like the idea of bumping him up in the lineup, especially in Ricardo Kell's place. I'd never thought of that idea, honestly. So once you said it, it kind of clicked, and that's and thinking that's a solid idea as well, especially considering the trajectory both those players are on. Um, yeah. The idea of bumping Zahorna down, though, kind of just spurred from, uh, like I said, where the organization might think of him and other names that 
could be in the minors right now that uh, could fill into that right wing position at the NHL level pretty easily because we talk we always talk about um, what kind of call-ups or recalls or prospects that the Penguins want to put in the NHL lineup. You don't want to immediately shank them on the fourth line. So yeah. that third line position becomes volatile um, in terms of who's there. So guys that have the pedigree that can make that jump to the NHL level, at least as right wingers, it ain't many now that I look at it, but Alex Nylander is an option that could slide in there. If he, you know, finds some game and, like Kyle Dubas said at the beginning of the season, is expected to be an NHL player by the end of the year. You know, that we don't And in terms of scoring ability, who do we, me and you, think has more offensive touch? Probably Alex Nylander. But also depends on what the team needs at the time. As of right now, yeah. I think this is a solid option. Colin White could also slide up there if, he, if we need the veteran presence all of a sudden. He's not that old, but you get what I'm saying. Um, if you need the yeah. other options, there are options that could easily fly in and take Zahorna out of this lineup. If, 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 if. Yeah, if because as of right now, that's you know you have no thought of bringing any of those guys up right, because you yeah. look at what's working right now. The Penguins are on a five-game winning streak, and the third line has been one of their better lines. I think more often than not, you know, from a consistency standpoint, they outperform the second line. Now the second line has more high-end talent, so they can make up for it, and you could, you saw that on Tuesday. The third line had twice as many positive shifts than the second line, but the second line went out there, the one shift, Evgeny Malkin, Riley Smith, and Eric Carlson, who was the defenseman that was out there on the ice at that point, said, you know what, uh, enough's enough. We're going to we're gonna dominate this shift, and it's going to end in a goal, and it, they just went out there and did it because they have the talent alone to be able to go out there and just do that one shift out of five, and you're like, okay, that's fine. And more often than not, the second line has been good. I'm not trying to downplay it at their success this season, but I think the third line has showed consistency every time they go over the boards. They play the same style. They know their roles. They execute their roles to a T, whether that's Drew O'Connor as the forechecking speed guy that creates havoc in the offensive zone, whether that's Lars Eller, who is the intelligent, smart, short passes, set things up in a great way, find soft spots in the offensive zone type guy, or if it's Zahorna, who's kind of a mixture of both. And, you, you know, we always talk that he uses that long stick of his to make sure that, you know, it's hard for opposing teams to freewheel in the de- defensive zone and make it hard for them to break out and make it hard for them to get through the neutral zone. I just think that that line has come together really well. And when I was looking at, I said, you know, this line has impressive underlying numbers, 60% of the shot attempts at five on five. They've been out shooting their opponents 61 to 37 when they've played together through 10 games this season. And when it comes to high danger chances, out chancing opponents high danger wise 30 to 14 this season again that's through 10 games that they've been together absolutely ridiculous stats ridiculous numbers they performed well but I wanted to look at it you know around the league where do they rank among third lines around the league and while yes they're fifth when it comes to expected goal share fifth in the National Hockey League when it comes to third lines when it comes to all lines they're ninth I was surprised at how many third lines are at the top of that list Statistically speaking, the Crosby line is sixth, so it makes you realize that, yeah, a large part of that is these third lines get deployed against, you know, other third lines, Mm -hmm. and there's a big dichotomy between the best and the worst third lines in the NHL, but this third line for the Penguins is starting to, to move its way towards the best side and further away from the worst side, which is where they've been the past couple of seasons. Yeah, it's finally starting to wake up because the Penguins have needed that depth 
it just in general. You know, you could say they've needed depth scoring, they've needed depth defense, they've needed depth this, that, the other. They're finally getting a big chunk of both offense and defense uh, this time around. It is exactly the goal that was set out for Kyle Dubas when he got here. You know, is to find mm-hmm. the rebuild the depth and however you see fit was kind of the kind of the main aspect of Kyle Dubas this summer. Um, and he focused he focused heavily on defense, but the defense that he focused on are also guys that have that sneaky offensive ability. We're seeing it from Lars Eller to a great degree so far. Drew O'Connor, it's not that he brought Drew O'Connor in, but everyone's giving him that chance to prove what he can do uh, on a full-time mm-hmm. basis. He didn't start the year at the AHL this year. Um, and again, we're just kind of still waiting for that to wake up. And Redeem Zahorna, as much as Penguins fans knew about him before, well, so did Kyle Dubas from his time in Toronto. So there was that sort yeah. of perfect match for this position. And then you could throw in all the other names that during training camp fought for third-line roles. Jansen Harkins can go in there. Um, yeah, Alex Nylander can get tossed into this conversation. Sam Poulin, to a degree, can get thrown in. Uh, and trying to remember other names that were brought in. By, like Vinny Henestrosa could easily slide into this as well. Um Mm-hmm. Andreas Janssen to a degree. There were a, Kyle Dubas brought in a ton of names that could battle for this third line role, and they seem to have now found a good, a good symmetry between these three. But it is also still, at least like I said before, a line that can be switched, can be adjusted in and out because yeah. of performance of certain guys. Yeah, if if the performance decreases, I don't think that that's a that's a worry at this point. Right. The only thing that I will say. I do think there is room for improvement when it comes to Drew O'Connor. Yeah. Uh, it does feel like he's a bit, not that he's performed poorly, but when it comes to the finishing ability that's necessary <clears throat> to play in that role, it feels like he's a bit above his skis playing in a third-line role. It almost feels as if it's a guy like Teddy Bluger that we saw last year where we kept saying over and over again, he has the potential to move up in the lineup. He has the potential to move up in the lineup. Put him at third-line center. Give him that opportunity. And when he gets that opportunity, it just doesn't quite fit as well as you'd want it to fit, right? The glass zip slipper didn't slide right on. Is it working right now? Yes. You know, you can walk down the stairs if you want, but you might trip and fall. So that's the one thing with, with Drew O'Connor that makes me a little concerned. I think that as a fourth-line left wing, he would be perfectly cast. I think he would be one of the better p- players in that position across the league, considering his skill set, considering the way that he's playing, considering the way that the Penguins like to deploy him. You know, I, I certainly think he'd be an upgrade over Matt Nieto, who's been in that position for the first 14 games of the season, but... The only problem with that is I don't see somebody in the organization that can supplant him. I don't have the confidence in Alex Nylander to be able to go and play that type of hockey the way that Drew O'Connor does to make sure that that line continues to succeed in the ways that it has succeeded, right? You need somebody who plays the way that Drew O'Connor plays. Similar characteristics like speed some physicality, and the desire to forecheck. Those are the pillars of Drew O'Connor's game, and the scoring is something that we've been hoping that has come along, and it just hasn't. You know, when I look at the at the organization, I don't see very many options like that. Pooland could be an option, like you said, but one, he's injured. Mm-hmm. He's week to week right now. Two, you're forfeiting some of that speed. Pooland does not have the foot speed that Drew O'Connor has. He does have that work ethic, that down-low, moose-type mentality, but... You are forfeiting that speed. Valtteri Pustin is another guy that I've I've banged the drum for several times, but 
you're forfeiting, you know, that forechecking ability. He does it, but not to the capability, not to the level of Drew O'Connor, not to mention that he has two goals in 10 games at the AHL level. That's certainly not worthy of getting called up to the NHL and getting a third-line spot. So, you know, right now, he's kind of in my, you know, personal doghouse. I, I wouldn't want to see him supplant to Drew O'Connor. I just don't think there's anybody in that, you know, organization right now. The only one that I will say, and he's not going to play on the Penguins during the regular season because he's playing in the WHL right now. And again, far-fetched, just a little nugget I want to throw out there, but... Braden Yeager is having a phenomenal season with the WHL Moose Jaw Warriors, and it's not like we haven't seen Kyle Dubas call up his young guns in the postseason when the junior season comes to an end and give them a pretty substantial role. He did that with Matthew Nyes, who's now on the first line for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Would he do that with Braden Yeager and make him a third liner once the playoffs roll around the postseason if we get to that? Again, very far down the line. That's the only player in organization, though, that I could see potentially, you know, as of right now, supplanting Drew O'Connor down the line. Yeah, that's a tough one just because... It's it's all forethought. That's so far away, but that's that's the only one that I can think. Not of. even that. I, I'm taking what you just said into into account here. Of he's done, of Kyle Dubas has done it before, in that he's you know had that history of pulling up uh, junior guys in the past. I think at least in terms of the Penguins organization, uh, a that just very much doesn't seem like the way they do things, and it really hasn't been. B Mike Sullivan's one still writing out the roster here, still writing up the lineup. We saw it before with uh, Jim Rutherford players. You know, the GM and the president can bring in all the names they want. If Mike Sullivan doesn't want to play him, he's not going to. If Mike Sullivan, well, here's Mike Sullivan doesn't Sorry, want to play Braden Yeager, not to not because Yeager is bad or because Yeager is this that the other. Mike Sullivan just might not have that confidence in him because he is 18 first reps in the NHL in vitally important postseason games, especially after how last season went, not getting any at all. You kind of want to have your best foot forward. Um, maybe Mike Sullivan thinks of it as a head game. He doesn't want to all of a sudden screw up the uh, progression of Jaeger into the NHL. Again, this is something that once playoffs get closer, uh, whenever you know, Sullivan starts speaking on the playoffs a little more, or we get Kyle Dubas to talk again about mm. roster moves like that. Um, yeah. I, at least until we start getting words from them on that, I don't see it happening personally. That's just me. Yeah. I like the idea a lot. I do because it is put your best players on the ice at the most important times. Mm. If he's that option, you roll with it. Absolutely. Um, the, yeah. But we'll see how it goes. The only thing I think you're forgetting is how did Mike Sullivan win his first two Stanley Cups? Pulled up AHL first, players, and I feel like that's a touch different. It's a touch different, but it's younger players, and I understand he did have those players in the AHL. He coached them. He had that previously, mm -hmm. but he's seen Braden Yeager now for a preseason. He's certainly keeping an eye on him. Let's not forget, like, you know, I know there's a lot going on, but you know Mike Sullivan has an eye. He's getting scouting reports about what's happening in Moose Jaw. And Braden Yeager right now, 27 points in 18 games played, 12 of them goals, and Moose Jaw is second in the East Division of the WHL. He's getting those reports, not to mention that, you know, that is part of the game. Whenever he was winning cups, it was Brian Russ the first year in 2016. It was Jake Gensel in 2017. 
And let's not, you know, forget that the one of the big tent poles of Braden Yeager's game last season in his draft year in the WHL was that his offensive numbers dipped because he was worried about making sure he'd be a better defensive player from a forward position. So I, I think that there's certainly a lot of aspects that go into that decision and certainly a decision that, you know, Sullivan and Dubis, if they're they're forward thinking, which I do believe they are, they probably have in the back of their mind. They've probably had a few discussions because they actually talk unlike Sullivan and the last general manager. But, Oops. you know, it is still something that's very, very far off yeah. and something that I didn't, you know, it, this became a discussion, but it's just a little a little seed that I want to plant in everybody's minds that, hey, once that time comes, if all things are the same. And the Penguins don't want to go out and spend money to get a third-line guy or spend resources to get a third-line guy. They have a kid in the WHL right now that is performing at a very high level that has shown you know, desire to be defensively responsible and that could be brought up because historically the general manager and the head coach have brought up young players late in the season for playoff runs. So that's, that's the only thing I'm doing is throwing that little thing in there. But it was certainly, uh, you know, obviously it, it's a more nuanced discussion than just five minutes can allow for. Absolutely. it's There's all kind of <clears throat> ups, downs, ins, and outs that can go into that sort of conversation. <clears throat> yeah. And it's one that <clears throat> I'm sure we'll be following for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. And like I said, I, it's something that I'd be interested in. I think before we jump to the Jaeger train, though, we're going to want to see how certain guys in the AHL have played. We're going to want to see what other options are there before we throw yeah. in the 18-year-old. I'm curious to know if he'd be 19 by then. <laughs> I do believe he would be 19 by that time and point. But also, you know, they're going to have plenty of opportunity to throw other guys in. Maybe a Jonathan Gruden gets an opportunity because Jaeger can't come up until the end of the junior season, which would be around the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Of course, and who knows how far... Um, the Moustrow Warriors go. Yeah, it's there's always that aspect as well. Why can I not find Jaeger's anything? Age? Is he not on <laughs> Cap Friendly right now? Or at least not on our roster on Cap Friendly? No. Interesting. He, he didn't sign his ELC yet. Oh, so that also has to happen too. Yeah, but that's that takes two seconds. I did, Come on now. I did not realize. To be fair, I did not realize that. And of course it does. He's still under the Penguins' possession. But I just didn't realize he did not sign one. All right. Yeah, no. He, he didn't sign his ELC yet. So he's not technically on a junior slide. But, you know, that could be changed very quickly if they sign him to an ELC. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, a pivotal week on deck for the Pittsburgh Penguins for massive games between now and American Thanksgiving, which is a tentpole date at the NHL schedule. We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. If you're searching for some meaningful hockey, you're going to get it over the next week and uh, less than a week, honestly. In the next six days, the Penguins have four massive matchups. They have, obviously, the New Jersey Devils coming to town later this evening to take them on, the Metropolitan Division rivals. Then they'll take on two more Metro rivals before American Thanksgiving, including the Carolina Hurricanes on the road on Saturday and then next Wednesday, the night before Thanksgiving, a massive day for, for hockey fans. Penguins versus Rangers at the old paint bucket. The one game in between those is a a date with the defending Stanley Cup champions in the Vegas Golden Knights. So yeah, if it sounds like an absolute murderer's row of opponents, it's because it is. And the Pittsburgh Penguins, they're certainly going to be, you know, need to be at their best to be up for this test because they're facing probably their toughest four games to date this season. Good thing, though, is that they're entering it on a five-game win streak and playing some of the best hockey that we've seen in a very long time. They are. They're they're catching the Devils at the right time, too. It's yeah. depending on the return of Jack Hughes or not. They're catching the Devils on a bit of a slide. And again, the Penguins are on their five-game winning streak. <clears throat> Say what you want about some of the opponents in that five-game winning streak. The Sharks were in there. Buffalo is in there. Um, still, you're excited that the penguins are winning games again like we said before it is how they're winning the games that have found five different ways to win really um and they just need to look for a sixth against a very sturdy for the most part uh devil's team that really shocked the world last year we'll see if it can still sustain that like i said this little slide is not helping them but um it's still a very highly touted team in this league right now with some talent with i'm gonna I'm gonna forget they added Tyler Toffoli until he rips two on us tonight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's so they're still a frightening team, and something that this is going to be the first big test, first real massive test of the season, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because the competition for the Penguins has been stiff so far, has been tough, but there's something different about the the inner divi- the Metro Division rivals. Yeah. The Devils of all people bring on Carolina on Saturday, Vegas for what you will. Uh, not division, but still a big test. And then New York right after, this is it. This is the beginning of the first real test for this team. You talk about test. In your opinion, what game do you think poses the toughest test for the Pittsburgh Penguins coming up in this four-game stretch? I So the Devils comes to mind right away because even whenever the Devils weren't that great, this historically the Penguins have not done well against them. Mm-hmm. Um. Carolina gave the Penguins so many issues last year. And the Rangers, yeah, they're leading the division, but can it can it sustain? I'm going to say the toughest test might be, especially if Jack Hughes is back tonight, the Devils. Yeah, when I look at this, I, I the Devils are a tough test, even with Jack, like, especially with Jack Hughes. He has 20 points in 10 games. Coming off that shoulder injury, he's still going to be dynamic, and, and that's still something that the Penguins are going to have to contest with. But to me, not because it's the only road game, on this schedule, but that game against the Hurricanes is going to be a tough one because the Penguins have just been unable to get over the hump against this team in the past four seasons. It wasn't just last season where they didn't get any wins, even though they lost all four of those games by one goal, but they're one, four and three against the Carolina Hurricanes in the past four seasons. That is a tough test, especially because when I talked earlier about, you know, the Penguins third line is one of the best in hockey. It's the fifth ranked when it comes to expected goal share. You know what the number one 
line is in the NHL when it comes to expected goal share with at least 80 minutes of ice time, which is how much the Penguins' third line is. It's it's the Canes' third line for a reason. I mean, the Hurricanes on paper have been stacked year in and year out, Mm -hmm. not to mention, like you mentioned on the last episode, they basically have a 1A, 1B, 1C in net, and that's always the biggest question for any team. They have three talented goaltenders. They have one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League and Rod Brindamore. They're well coached. They play the game well and and they're a deep team. Not to mention they're a team that plays with speed and they're a team that plays the way the Pittsburgh Penguins want to play. Defensively responsible and opportunistic on offense. That's exactly how the Hurricanes play and they have the talent to execute that game plan. And so far, you know, over the past four seasons, they've been able to execute it well against the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I think that's going to be the toughest test for them of the four, not to take any anything away from the Devils or the the Golden Knights who started the season red hot, not to mention winning a Stanley Cup last year, and and the Rangers who, let's face it, after that one win the Penguins got over the New York Rangers last year, embarrassed the Penguins in all the other matchups. So, you know, I think the Canes still pose the toughest test for the Penguins in this this stretch here that's going to be... Listen, there's no easy games on this schedule. There's no fluff in this next four-game four, uh, four game stretch. I do think, though, the toughest one is going to be the Hurricanes. Fortunately, that's on the first half of a back-to-back and not the back half. Yeah, it, you're going to have <clears throat> most likely Tristan Jarian for that game. <clears throat> and if you do look down their roster, you're right. Like The players you listed off, or at least the lines you listed off, are frightening for the Hurricanes. The goaltending, however, <clears throat> did get a little bit, did get interesting with Frederick Anderson going down on 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 to IR for uh, yeah, uh, uh, I forget what exactly it was, but that I mean that doesn't make too much of a difference. You only face one goalie, and like we said, they had a one, two, three easy. You know, those mm-hmm. three could all be starters. But I mean, I, here's the thing: like, yeah, they could all be starters. I still don't know how much. I've never had too much fear of Andy Ranta, you know, as much as. He is has been a solid goaltender for Carolina. He's never really struck me as a definite standout number one. I mean, he's definitely a starter, but definitely not the star. And somehow Frederick Anderson kind of stole a lot of spotlight there. Piotr, Piotr Kachekov might be their best goalie, but he's still kind of treated as a third stringer there. Mm-hmm. So, and especially considering they just signed Halak to a PTO. They This is a team that clearly they like having three useful goalies. If they're... If, if one of them goes down, they're signing another one to a PTO. They like having useful goalies. So, uh, who knows where the who the Penguins get even in goal? Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be a pivotal pivotal um, choice for the Hurricanes on Saturday. Not that that lightens the load for the Penguins, you know, and makes them an easier competition. Um, but I think that sort of question mark is what at least pushes me in the direction of saying New Jersey is okay. tougher than Carolina. Because we don't, we, there's a lot of question marks with Carolina, at least in net. Yeah, let's focus on New Jersey then, because that game is coming up first. That game's coming up here in just about 10 hours from now. The Penguins last season were 0-3-1 and against the New Jersey Devils. The closest they came was a 2-1 loss in New Jersey that harkened back to the old Martin Brodeur days when you'd go to New Jersey and it'd be a rock fight at Prudential Center. But... Other games were not as close. 4-2 win for the Devils, 5-2 win for the Devils, 6-1 win for the New Jersey Devils as I headbutt my microphone. But, you know, they were red hot to start this season, was New Jersey. They've cooled off recently because Jack Hughes is hurt. Nico Heeshear is hurt. But like you mentioned, with Hughes potentially coming back and with the success this team had against the Penguins last year, it's going to be... You know, it's going to be a battle of whether or not the Penguins can continue to play the defensive mindset hockey that they've 
you know, played and gotten on this five-game win streak. Yeah, it's just going to be a tough test. Uh, those certain players being in or out, like I said, we're catching the Devils on a slide. I mean, three-game losing streak. It's, or it's first of all, didn't see that coming. Um, also didn't realize Nico Heischer was also injured. So that, yeah. things do get interesting real quickly here. Um, but Vitek Vanacek, 6-3 and three so far. In 887? Their goaltending's not always been stellar the thing is their defense is phenomenal you know it helps yeah. when helps when they Dougie were basically Hamilton. well i was gonna say it helps when they were basically given john marino for free but you know at the end of the day they're they're a stellar defensive team luke hughes has looked really good to start this season but it all comes back to that you know stingy defense that the pittsburgh penguins showed particularly against anaheim last week they're gonna need to pull that right back out of their hat again tonight against the new jersey devils because you look at last season when did the Penguins, you know, when they got blown out by these teams, it's because they didn't play good defense. Four goals, mm-hmm. five goals, six goals allowed. They never scored more than two against the New Jersey Devils. They need to play low-event hockey because high-event hockey favors the New Jersey Devils, not just against the Penguins, but against everybody. You look at last season, you see a perfect example of that. So Penguins need to keep it low-event, need to keep it the way that they did against New Jersey, need to keep it the way that they did against Buffalo, which is limit the high-danger chances insulate your goaltender, allow him to see pucks, make make stops, and limit the rebounds, and then when you get the opportunity, you have to capitalize. That's It's been the formula for most of this five-game win streak. That needs to be the formula tonight if you want to push it to six. That's just what I was about to say. The, the, and <clears throat> that low event hockey is exactly kind of what the Penguins have shifted to a little bit. Not necessarily fully there, but they've had that shift in game planning. Um I still have to read Jesse Marshall's piece on it. Oh, it's <clears throat> phenomenal. It is phenomenal. I was going to bring it up in the last segment, but it is, if you want to see, you know, it, it's a bad day for the the Sullivan is what stubborn crowd because uh, he, he made a, he made a drastic shift. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Jesse Marshall writes for the athletic, put a piece up yesterday. It was yesterday or the day before, whenever it was, it's his latest piece on the athletic. It high headlines and highlights exactly how the penguins have turned things around this season and what they've done systematically, and it, it outlines it. And for me, it, it basically it's like explain this to me, you know, Michael Scott. Explain this to me like I'm five. That's that's exactly what Jesse does, and he doesn't do it in a condescending way, which is refreshing. And he just basically breaks it down in such an easy way to understand that it'll elevate the way you watch games. I'll tell you that much. Oh, for sure. And like I said, I, I need to still uh, get around to reading it. Um, I'm sure I will today, especially going into a game where this low event. Uh, needs to be new played. style is going to be needed so yeah absolutely i'll check it out uh it's one of those must read pieces so um but that's exactly what the penguins have already started right they've already started this low event sort of shutdown game that while still producing offensively because they have the star power to do that yeah. <clears throat> uh so it all just needs to kind of come together tonight especially in this vitally important matchup yeah, so we'll see what happens tonight. We'll see what happens over the next, you know, six days, is it? Because leading up to American Thanksgiving, we all talk about how that is an important day. The Penguins just got back into the playoff picture. You want to be, at the very least, in or very close to a playoff spot when the time American Thanksgiving rolls around. You got to perform well against these really four talented teams if you want to make sure you're still in that position come Thanksgiving. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, can the Penguins sustain this level of play, particularly from the Stars, like you mentioned, and from their goaltenders? We'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Horwat, I talked yesterday on Penguins to Go about three Penguins who had substantial point streaks currently running. I mean, Sidney Crosby, nine games. Eric Carlson, six games. Jake Gensel, five games. But when you look at their top stars overall, their performance is, is obscene. I mean, Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, and Eric Carlson all over a point per game, 14 games into the season, which is ridiculous enough. Then you look at Brian Rust has 13 points in 14 games. Riley Smith has 12 points in 14 games. The top of the Penguins lineup is absolutely lighting the world on fire. But is that sustainable? Like The way that they're playing, are they going to be able to sustain this level of success throughout the entirety of an 82-game season, or at the very least, as close as humanly possible, because we know there are dips and valleys in a long season, Mm -hmm. such as the NHLs. You know, for certain players, I absolutely do think so. I think this is a Sidney Crosby year, uh, heading in. uh, Mike Sullivan mentioned, at least in Malkin's case, that uh, he took missing the playoffs personally. I chatted with Brian Rust after practice yesterday, and talking about Crosby's leadership, and he said he didn't like... Obviously, no one was happy with the way last season ended, but he said uh, he used that same term. Sidney Crosby <clears throat> wasn't happy with how last season ended and took it personally. So when you're two-headed monster like that, when those two are taking missing the postseason personally, they're going to take it upon themselves to uh, push everything in the direction of getting them back into the postseason. So far, we're seeing that with 19 points from Crosby in 14 games. Uh, pace for I believe 111 112 points mm. stupid he's a he's 36 yeah he's 36 and that's um the kind of pace he's on Kenny Malkin's on pace for over 100 points or at least he was uh uh heading into the Columbus game just you know with 17 and 14 it's a again a stupid pace for a 37 year old and then we're seeing Jake Gensel squeeze in there 18 points big playmaking season from him uh, 18 points through 14 games. And Eric Carlson has fa- is officially arrived, guys. Yeah. Like, everyone is pacing towards some absolutely ridiculous numbers. Again, early, so the pace, quote-unquote, doesn't mean too much. Uh, but if anyone can sustain it, at least for now, it's going to be the guys like Crosby, Kensel, Malkin, we'll see. We know Malkin is very Malkin. We're, we're super jacked about the start, there's no doubt. Um, and he'll probably take a dip, 
but it will definitely wake up at the end of the year again when it really matters. That's just mm-hmm. how Malkin's career trajectory is gone, especially now later in his career. Maybe Eric Carlson can also sustain this because, you know, it just took a minute to kind of mesh. I keep, guys keep saying that <clears throat> uh, with all the new faces, it was they knew it was kind of going to take a while to get things put together and get going. I think we're just starting to really see it now. And Eric Carlson taking the lead in that new face showing up in a big way. Riley Smith just did it first. We mm-hmm. saw that immediately with that chemistry with Malkin. Eric Carlson's probably just going to do it more and a bit more over the top because of the player, the name, the contract. He's going to be Eric Carlson. Whereas Riley Smith having this genuine awesome season to start the year too is really good. It's really cool. And uh, everyone's sort of blossoming. Sustainability. Mm-hmm. For certain guys, absolutely. And here's the thing. I think that it's sustainable for one of a couple reasons. One, I think the supporting cast below this group, I mean, we didn't even mention, you know, Chris Letang, who is in a completely different role. He doesn't need to be in this, I'm going to collect every point under the sun type role because you know what he's doing is playing outstanding penalty killing, which I believe you outlined in an article yesterday on Inside the Penguins. He's playing phenomenal at five on five. He's bringing along a guy in Ryan Graves and making him a little bit better each and every game. And and you look at the rest of the supporting cast here. We talked about the third line. They're playing well. Even if they're not scoring, they're creating momentum, like Mike Sullivan said after the Tuesday game. The fourth line is doing similar things where they're not getting caved in. They're not letting the momentum shift. And that's leading to good penalty killing, which is leading to more momentum shifts in favor of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Not to mention, after taking that broader look, if you scope in, to these guys, these six players that the Pittsburgh Penguins right now have all hovering around or above a point per game, it hasn't all been all season long, right? Sidney Crosby, yes, has scored points in 13 of 14 games this season. But there was a time, the first little couple of games of the season, that everybody's like, all right, he's collecting points, but something's never... off, and it's something's off, and it's not just that his skates messed up. Right, it never felt over the top. That's I I outlined that at one point too. It, like he, yeah, okay, he's got points in almost every game, but it's ne- it never felt like he's purely dominated the game. Mm-hmm. And Mike Sullivan said, you know, like these guys, Malkin and Crosby, they are both playing well. There's no doubt that a, first of all, a 36 year old scoring in all in every game but one. Yeah, you're taking that regardless of who the player yeah. is. You're especially from Sidney Crosby, you're gonna take that. But you know it's Sidney Crosby. You know there's another level that can be hit there. Like mm-hmm. Sullivan said, yeah, they, these guys can still hit another gear. They can still ramp it up a little more. The very next game, Crosby goes out and has three goals and an assist for a four-point night. Yeah. So the domination from Crosby is there. It's And he's waking up a little more. Like, you know, he's yeah. he was getting points in every game? Yeah. Well, now he's it never felt like he was fully there until mm-hmm. uh, Columbus. Yeah, and the point I was going with is, like, mm-hmm. Crosby at the beginning of the season, it wasn't domination like you look at the numbers right now and yes his numbers look like he's been dominant all year but it wasn't you know Crosby going above and beyond in the opening games it wasn't Eric Carlson going above and beyond in the opening games but they've come along recently meanwhile while Evgeny Malkin is still getting points on the board he had a good play on Tuesday but he's not that above and beyond player that he was in the opening Brian Rust has kind of faded back a little bit playing good hockey but not always on the score sheet not always capitalizing Riley Smith started like gangbusters Riley Smith I don't believe has had that big of an impact like he's played well but he hasn't had that overabundance impact that he had early in the season so there are ebbs and flows but the fact is there are so many players that are performing at a high level that those ebbs and flows as long as they don't all fall at the same time which is unlikely with six players of that talent ability 
as long as they don't fall, don't all fall at the same time, you should have one or two or three players playing at that highest level at all times this season. And it helps when the supporting cast is performing well as well, is playing their roles to a T. They might not be contributing on the scoreboard, but they're doing a good job in the other aspects of the game. And when you have that, you have a team that can sustain the success that you have. Now, is Crosby going to be scoring in every single game this year? Probably not. Is Evgeny Malkin going to be rookie Evgeny Malkin or Art Ross Evgeny Malkin by the end of the year? Probably not. But you're counting that these guys, when one falls, somebody's there to take his place. And you're counting that the basement and the and the, the floor is not that low. The floor should still be at a considerable level when these guys have their, their valleys of the season. And I, I think that what you're seeing right now is that is certainly a possibility. And I think that it's certainly sustainable for these stars because of who they have around them and the level of play that they're getting from their third line, from Chris Letang on the defensive side of things, from even the third pairing at points has performed well and done their job and, and know your role, do your role, and that's all we're asking of you. So I think it's all coming together in a really good good way so far. You're seeing them be able to put things together when it comes to the scheme, the system. We talked about Jesse's piece. And, and you're seeing a team that is building something that could be sustainable, unlike last season where it was, you know, two sheets to the wind or whatever that that saying is. And it was, Hey, we're going to see how this goes. We're going to go until the wheels fall off. Well, the wheels fell off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, and if you really want to take a real look into, you know, how the season's going, we're talking about these players, like they're, you know, lighting the world on fire. And don't get me wrong. We do believe that they are because they are playing phenomenally well. Look around the league though. I mean, the league leader in points right now is JT Miller. What? With 26, <laughs> 26. Yeah. Crosby's got 19. Yeah, he's tied for that's 11th, a, or 13th, yeah, I that's believe. Something like that. I can't mm -hmm. find the name. There he is. Yeah, it's a big gap So it, between, you know, the where the Crosby is and where the top play, top performers on the season are. Also, just the Vancouver Canucks are wild this year. They're lighting the uh, world on fire, yeah. JT Miller, Elias Patterson, sorry. Whenever I said JT Miller leading the league in points of 26, sorry. JT Miller, Elias Patterson, and Quinn Hughes all have 26 points <laughs> leading the league in points. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, aside from that weirdness, there's definitely a discrepancy between where the Penguins sit in their points and the league leaders because it's getting spread out a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and also, like you mentioned, there have been already a couple of valleys, a couple of dips or... Yep taking the time to really ramp things up. I'm not saying Crosby's going to chase down some Art Ross numbers here, <laughs> but uh, it's he's definitely going to hover around some really good numbers, especially if this can sustain. Like I said, I think Crosby can absolutely sustain these numbers. Jake Enslow is still young enough that he should be able to sustain the numbers regardless of you know expectations or uh, how he's playing. He should still be able to produce at his level. Uh, if Kenny Malkin, I, I just don't see it happening at for the middle portion of the season. Maybe at the end, definitely at the end, mm -hmm. when things ramp up for him, because that's I feel like how a thirty a thirty seven year old of Kenny Malkin's gonna play. Mm -hmm. Not to say he's not gonna produce, like he's gonna have zero points through the middle months of the season, but he's going to be a little bit different and a little quieter, um, except for the odd game here and there. And then Eric Carlson waking up into a fine little defensive. Uh, offensive defenseman is hilariously good for this team watching the trajectory of points is going to be a ton of fun like i said they're not going to put up art ross numbers 
but they're definitely going to sustain this and mm-hmm. be at their own pace and win in their way. Did you just call Eric Carlson a fine little offensive defenseman? <laughs> probably. I'm probably far from the first one to say it, too. <laughs> a fine little... The guy scored 101 <clears throat> points last last year, Horwat. He's more than that. Five points... Or five points. He has five multi-point games in the last six. He, he, he's certainly uh, heating up to that level that he was last season when he, he scored 100 points from the blue line for the first time in 30 years. But I, I think the other thing about specifically these six, when I look at them, they all have something to prove this season. Mm-hmm. And they're guys that are, you know, historically well-driven. I mean, Crosby, Malkin, you you need say less about their drive, but they're taking it personally. Like Mike Sullivan said, they missed the playoffs. And it wasn't, you know, it's different from other years because, yes, they haven't had postseason success since 20, I'll say 2018, because they, they absolutely lit up the Philadelphia Flyers and went six games with the eventual cup champs. So they haven't had playoff success since 2018, but it was different last year because, you know, you could make the excuse, you know, there's the COVID year. Oh, uh, well, it was a weird scenario. We, we really weren't into it or something like that. You know, no fans in the bubble. It was strange. You know, Patrick Marlowe came over in that whole scenario. It was weird. Pa- Patrick Hornfist was struggling. Yeah, you can make that excuse. Jake Gensel was coming off of a shoulder injury, hadn't played, and had been, you know. You look at the Rangers series. Well, we were down to our third goaltender. We really outplayed them, but it didn't happen, so what do we need to change? Last year it was, hey, you can make the playoffs if you beat this lowly Chicago Blackhawks team and a Columbus Blue Jackets team that you've beaten every other time you've played them. That's literally, you know, that's what you had to do. And you you let everybody down. Like mm-hmm. you let your fan base down. You didn't, you came up short. You know, there wasn't a, hey, well, we played better, but this, you know, mitigating circumstance held us back. It was you screwed the pooch. So yeah, they're taking it personally. They have something to prove this season. That's Crosby. That's Malkin. That's Gensel who has an added layer to this. Hey, it is a contract year. These guys are about to come down when it comes to these guys. I'm talking about the Penguins organization are about to come down and try to lowball me because that's what every organization does in every contract dispute or not dispute every contract negotiation. It doesn't even have to be dispute. Hey, this is what we think you're worth. Almost every time the guy is going to be like, yeah, I think I'm worth more than that. So he's mm-hmm. trying to prove something to not just himself, but to the organization as to why he deserves a certain amount of money. Eric Carlson in his first year in Pittsburgh, the expectations are high. He's trying to prove that he still has what it takes to not just be a hundred point player on a bottom feeding team, but he has what it takes to being a solid contributing player to a team that is at the top of the standings and vying for the Stanley cup. Brian Rust coming off a bad season. He has stuff to prove Riley Smith. He just won the Stanley cup. Can he do it somewhere else? Can he multiply what he was able to do on a Vegas golden Knights team in Pittsburgh? Or is it just the magic that he captured as a golden misfit? There's a lot of things to prove in this organization. There's a lot of things to prove in this lineup, particularly at the top. And these guys are all taking that task and they're hitting it out of the park so far. Yeah, it was a slow start in October, but you look at the way that they've bounced back. You look at the way that these guys have been playing, even in some of those rough games. And you see that, yes, there is something to prove with this Penguins team. And they're going out there and they're proving it right now with a five game win streak. And you hope mm-hmm. that they can continue that through the next three, four months as the season progresses. Yeah. And don't forget, and all those names you listed, this whole conversation we just had, there's another big name that we did not touch on. And that's Tristan Jari. Yep. What does he have to prove? Well, so much off of starting up a new contract where half the fan base wanted him gone. Half the the other half said, okay, but maybe to a smaller deal. 
How about none of you get what you want? He sticks around for five years, five million dollars, five plus yeah. million dollars. Well, now he's got all of that to prove. The the new president general manager, not even <clears throat> not even a continuation of Ron Hextall, the new face who was able to build the team in his image, Kyle Dubas said, the best option we have here is Tristan Jari. So all of the weight is also now put on Tristan Jari's shoulders. There's a lot that he needs to prove. He is also in this conversation. Uh, it's just we'll be having his conversation all year long, mm-hmm. whereas if Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin continue their uh, streaks and continue their paces, ho-hum, it's Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. We just, yeah. It's important to have the discussion now, whereas Jari, we will talk about all year long. Don't worry. The <laughs> annual goalie controversy in Pittsburgh is surely coming down the pike here. Especially with Nadelkovich possibly returning. Mm-hmm. Sorry, maybe watching the Browns game. <laughs> no, and but, then returning. Uh, and then returning, yes. So we'll see. It's Tristan Jari's got a ton to prove too. He's also mm-hmm. right in the middle of this conversation. Yeah, the the question that we said on the outside of this segment is uh, right over there on the bottom of the rail. It says, is this success sustainable? Tristan Jari is the poison pill. Ah, Tristan yes. Jari is the poison pill. Whether or not that pill gets squished and, and released into the Penguins' veins, that's a different question. But he is the poison pill because right now him and even Magnus Helberg, the third-string goalie for the Pittsburgh Penguins, are playing near perfect during this five-game win streak. Jari is 4-0-0 with a 9.55 save percentage, a 1.25 goals against average, and one-and-a-half shutouts. Helberg is 1-0 with a 9.36 save percentage, one-and-a-half goals against average, and half of a shutout. These guys have performed well. So at the end of the day, Yes, I think that the forward way and the way that the Penguins have played with their skaters, it is something that could be sustainable this season, especially the fact that there's so many players playing their role to a T right now. But even if they do that, the one thing that can always draw back is poor performance from your goaltender. And while Tristan Jari is playing well, while Tristan Jari has shown that he can perform well in this league, can he do it at a consistent basis has been the question for the past four years. And it's the question that is always going to linger in the back of my mind at least, mm-hmm. as to whether or not success is sustainable for the Penguins with this current team. Because is Tristan Jari sustainable becomes the headline in my eyes. Because if he is, I think the Penguins are going to be okay. Yeah. Did you say he has one and a half shutouts, by the way? Uh, I, I'm i giving him one and a half shutouts. Uh, the, the league is not. The league is also not giving Magnus Helberg any shutouts. Um, so he has one and a half shutouts during this five-game win streak. He also oh, has, okay, okay. Yeah, he has two more earlier <clears throat> in the season. But I, he has one and a half in this win streak. God, that's what I was getting at. Because I was about to say, he has three. But, yes. uh, but also, I mean, that just goes to show the... Uh, start that he had, at least in one of those games, he picked up that big shutout against the Capitals in their home opener. That and game was Mavs. bigger than we... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. That shutout against the uh, Capitals, though, bigger than we think. It, it, it was game two, yeah. Uh, but it had a bit more of an effect than we may realize. I mean, the losing streak kind of hit right after, but um, league-leading three shutouts right now, you could argue three and a half, three and two-thirds, if you will really mm-hmm. um and you know Helbrick stepped in in a great way and has really you know driven home the fact that this penguins team has solid depth at goaltending not just jari to smith tokarski slash deming slash uh legacy mm-hmm. we have actual actual goaltending depth jari awesome nadelkovich cool let's see if he can resurge Helbrick stepped in in a huge way there's some real goaltending depth here too. 
Yeah, so uh, it's certainly going to be a fun week, and it's going to be a fun season to see whether or not the Penguins can, can sustain this. But now we've seen it. We've seen yeah. that they can reach this level. We know that it's in there for the Pittsburgh Penguins, which means all they have to do is channel that and find a way to make it sustainable throughout a very long season. They've played, what, 14 games. That leaves, I'm horrible at math, but I think that's 68 games left on the schedule. Um, but, you know, it's going to be a big question of whether or not Tristan Jari can help be the stabilizing force for the Pittsburgh Penguins moving forward. But we'll get to see a lot of a lot of tough tests in the next week, whether or not that they're able to continue to play their game and whether or not that game translates to facing the top of the Metropolitan Division, who they'll face in three of the next four. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time.